So we are in a series called Close Encounters. Uh, Dawn, admittedly, she picked out this uh, sermon series, so that was pretty cool. I don't think that she knew when she picked out the sermon series that just last year was the 40th anniversary of the Close Encounters of the Third Kind movies. Anybody know that? Yeah? You like that movie? Uh, Anybody know when that movie came out? Okay, I didn't think that you did, so I'll tell you. Um, 1977, November the 16th, 1977, that was more than just a couple years ago. As a matter of fact, that was the same year I was born. So, uh, yeah, I know you're like, that was back when they had like stone tablets and stuff, right? No, that's not true. Uh, but they had really great movies like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So if you want to go watch a crazy but good movie, Richard Dreyfuss, Terry Gar, like go and watch that movie. Like it, it's really weird and it'll really freak you out, but it, it's really cool too. So anyway, if you're a sci-fi fan, it's, it's awesome. Some of you old guys in here know what I'm talking about and you can, you can testify it's a good movie. Am I right? Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so Close Encounters. We're talking about people that have close encounters with Jesus, people that had some, some kind of interaction with Jesus, and it changed them, right? Like, it changed them in a big way. Uh, we, we, we talked about Zacchaeus. Uh, we talked about the rich young ruler uh, last week, and we talked about the difference between the two and how they worshiped something, and uh, one worshiped Jesus, and, and one worshiped his money. You know, the difference between worshiping the gift versus worshiping the giver is what we talked about. And tonight, I could not go through this series in good conscience without telling you about the disciples, right? So we need to talk about the disciples. We're going to talk about somebody that had a close encounter with Jesus because like they had the closest encounter with Jesus. Am I right? Um, now, I, I try to picture in my head, not everything, okay, is written down in the scriptures, right? Like that, it, it, you know, it, like it would cover like volumes and volumes and volumes if we discussed all the things that Jesus did. But can you imagine chilling with Jesus around the campfire? I mean, can you imagine that? Like, me, you, him, we're just hanging around the campfire. It's 2 in the morning because, you know, he doesn't sleep. He doesn't really need much. So, and like, you just want to sit and listen to him. He's talking. You're like, this is the son of God. It might be important. Let me take some notes, you know, just like you do in here. You take two notes now. Anyway, so, like, you're just sitting there. And, and can you imagine just... I mean, because these guys were in the presence of the miracles that he performed. Like, I mean, he would feed like 5,000 men, like 15,000 people and, and like just with nothing. And, and they were there and they saw it and they were right there. And there were people that were blind and people that were demon possessed. And, and, and Jesus like would just heal them and change everything about them. And that's what we're talking about in this series. But I try to think about these guys. They saw all that and they would chill around the fire with Jesus. Like, can you imagine how cool that would be? As a matter of fact, he even cooked some breakfast in one of the stories. You know how Jesus cooks breakfast, right? Did you know how that? You know how Jesus cooks breakfast? Breakfast. You know, it's like, there it is, you know? I mean, that's all there is to it, right? It's breakfast, you know? I, I, you know, Cassie and I were talking about it one time. I was like, can you imagine what kind of fish that dude cooked? Don't you think it was tasty? Like, really tasty? Like, he's the inventor of the fish. You know what I mean? So surely he knows how to cook it. You know what I mean? Like, he would be the best person to prepare the fish since he's the one that invented the fish. You know what I mean? Like, that would be amazing. He could really cook some fish. I imagine he would have an awesome fish fry if Jesus was a chef, you know? These are the kind of things I think about at 2 in the morning. Okay. You get a little insight, just kind of pull back the curtain a little bit. That's Kenny's brain. That's what goes on inside there. But can you imagine? And, and you know, I mean... Yeah, so anyway, I, I won't get into all the other things uh, I think about sitting around, Jesus, sitting around the campfire with Jesus. I just can't, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine what that would be like, having seen all the things that he's done. So 
We're going to talk about tonight, we're going to talk about uh, his first disciples that he called. Um, I, I, I want you to know, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm actually going to skip down, Connie, you'll have to keep up a little bit. I'm going to skip down to verse 35 this, this evening. I'm not going to start with 29, like I originally planned. Just going to tell you what's going on here is that uh, John the Baptist, he's this crazy dude, he's an Israelite, but he keeps preaching like you need to repent. So everybody knows what repent means, right? So it means to turn away from your sin, turn towards God. And this crazy Israelite dude keeps saying, you got to repent, you got to repent. And he says, look, I'm just, I'm, I'm telling you what's coming because there is a Messiah coming and I'm just preparing the way for, for him. And he's going to preach a message of repentance that's going to shake up the whole world. He said, I'm just preparing the way. I'm just getting y'all ready to hear what he's going to say. And here we've got John the Baptist, he, like, he looks crazy, he's wearing crazy clothes, he's eating crazy stuff, and he's out in the wilderness. And he's got people that follow him around. He's got these other guys, and, and they're like, okay, we like what you teach, we're going to hang around you. And then John the Baptist says the Messiah is coming, and they're like, yeah, yeah, that's what the Old Testament says, a Messiah is coming. Now what you need to understand is that the Pharisees, they didn't really see a Messiah the same way that these guys saw a Messiah. See, they were expecting uh, like a ruler to come in, like a king to come in, somebody that would overthrow the Roman government, you know, and wipe them out so they could be Israel again. And that's what they were looking for. They weren't looking for a perfect lamb sacrifice. They weren't looking for the lamb of God that would be a perfect sacrifice for all of their sins because they thought, they thought that all the religious activities that they did made them right with God. They didn't need a savior. They were good, man. They had a right relationship with God. They were wrong. And Jesus came to tell them they were wrong. And John the Baptist, preparing the way for him, says, look, there is a perfect sacrifice coming. He is the Messiah. In Hebrew, it's Messiah. In Greek, it's Christ. And it just means a Savior. A Savior. He's coming. And like these guys are listening to John the Baptist, and they're on the same page with him. You see, the problem with the religious leaders of that day, they weren't looking for the kind of Jesus that, that Jesus actually was. They were looking for their own mentality, their own way of thinking about who the Messiah was going to be, what he was going to look like, what he was going to do, how he was going to act, and all these things. You know why they missed it? It's because they wasn't looking inside their own hearts. They didn't take a few minutes to stop and examine themselves because they thought that they were good. You know anybody like that? They don't, they don't take any time to examine what's going on in their heart. They think they're good you know, because they go to church or because they call themselves a Christian or because they don't cuss a lot or whatever. So therefore, they think they're good, you know. But they never stop for a minute to just think about what's going on on the inside. That's the problem with the Pharisees. They didn't stop to think about the heart. They never really crossed their mind. They thought, man, I'm good. I do all the stuff that I think I'm supposed to. Therefore, that makes me right with God. Turns out they were wrong. And Jesus tells them that they're wrong. So anyway, these guys are following John the Baptist and they're hanging out with him. And John... He testifies to him. He says, look, I baptized this dude and like heavens opened up and doves descended down and, and God was shouting that this is my son and who I'm well pleased. Like it was amazing. And John the Baptist is telling his boys this and they're like, okay, wow, that's cool. Like this, this guy must be it, right? So here, here we catch up with the story a little bit. In John chapter one, verse 35, it says this, the following day, John was again standing with the two, his two, two of his disciples. Now, John, the disciple, is different than John the Baptist. You need to know that, okay? So John the Baptist was this guy that was out in the wilderness, crazy repentance preaching guy that, that, um, that, that, that he, he, he baptized Jesus. That's John the Baptist, okay? Then you got John the disciple who wrote this book and also wrote the book of Revelation, 1 John, 2 John. 
This, this is the guy that was a disciple of Jesus. In John's gospel, he never really calls himself out. So when we see here that there's two disciples, he means himself and somebody else, okay? Because he's got all this stuff detailed out. There's no way he wasn't there. He didn't get this information secondhand. This is him. So he's like, all right, so it's, G- it's John and two of his disciples, John the disciple, right? Okay. And some other guy. We'll talk about him in just a second. He actually names him. So, uh, and Jesus walked by and John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Like, so, okay, so John the Baptist has been teaching all this stuff about repentance, and I'm preparing the way for somebody that's going to come. There's the Lamb of God. And he goes, there he goes. Catch him, you know? And, like, they're like, oh, yeah, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's all it took was them to say, look, there he is, man. There's the Lamb of God. There's a perfect sacrifice of God. And they just took off. The thing I want you to kind of see through as we, we uh, go through each one of these disciples and how they were called and their response is, man, it's different for all of them, right? It's very different in how they were called. It's very different in what it took for them to respond. You know, we always think in our minds that it was just like, okay, follow me. And there's, like, okay, look, let's go. You know what I mean? Like, but in reality, when you look at the details, it's a little more complicated than that. And, and, and what that shows me is that, you know, human beings, we're a little more complicated too. I don't know if you know that or not. I'm really complicated, as a matter of fact. But... So it takes a little bit for some of them. Some of them are like a little pessimistic some of, at first, you know, and then some of them are like, I'll leave everything right this moment, give it up, I'm following you. Some of them got to ask Jesus some questions to begin with to figure out who he really is. And maybe Jesus opens up the Old Testament. It's like, see, this is who I am right here. See what it says right here? And like they're, you know, maybe they're working through it at Starbucks or something. It's like going through and highlighting stuff and like, see, this is me, you know. And, and you see these different ways. Why do y'all look at me like that when I say Jesus is at Starbucks highlighting stuff? They're like, y'all are going, is he for real? Did they have, really have Starbucks in first century Jerusalem? They did. As a matter of fact, Starbucks is everywhere. <laughs> look, there's the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus turned around, looked around, and saw them following. So Jesus, you know, he's got eyes in the back of his head, right? So he, he sees them following. And he asked him, what do you want? Oh, what a, what a glorious question from the Messiah, the Savior of the world, right? What do you want, right? And, and when Jesus asks a question, it's always an invitation, right? When, when, when God asks a question, it's always an invitation. Did God know what they wanted? <laughs> Did God have a clue? I mean, is he really like, he's so, he, you know, he created everything to, in existence, but he's really confused about what these two guys follow and what, what they really want. So he's giving them an invitation. What do you want? It's just that simple. You know what's interesting is uh, some people come in here, and if Jesus were to walk right through here and he looks at you and says, what do you want, that you probably couldn't give him an answer? I, I mean, that's sad. That's, but that's the reality. That, that like Jesus could look at you dead in the eye and say, what do you want? And there's a lot of people, adults included. I'm, I'm looking at you guys because I'm talking to you guys, but there's adults included that they wouldn't know. They wouldn't know what they really wanted. Let's look at what these guys said. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? What are they, what are they saying here? They said, we've got to go to Starbucks, right? We've got to get our Old Testament, get out our highlighters, get a pumpkin spice latte, and we've got to hang out a little bit. Where are you staying, JC? You know, like I need to know. And this is what he says. He says, come and see. 
It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. In Jewish time, they would call this the 10th hour. You don't need to know that, but you might want to know it. And they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. So they hung out with Jesus all night. It's like a Jesus slumber party, and they were like just asking him questions, right? Like, now I want you to know that, that right now, all we've got is two guys, John and this other guy's name is Andrew, which we'll see in just a second. John and Andrew hanging out together around John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, there's a Messiah, go get him. They come up to him, they're following him, and what does he say, what do you want? And they say, we want to hang out for a little while. I mean, this doesn't sound like, you know, the, the old, well, just follow me kind of thing, and, and then they take off and go. This is actually two guys wanting to figure out who he is first. And that kind of meets some of us where we are. Some people come to church for a while and try to figure out who Jesus is before they actually surrender to him. You know, because they're skeptical. Maybe they got some questions. Maybe, you know, they need to go to Starbucks and sit down with him for a little while, you know. And that's okay. That's okay. That's what we see in the disciples here, these, these two guys. They're hanging out with Jesus, asking him questions. They go, come and see. They went to the place where he was staying and stayed the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother, Simon, and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. Now, think about what must have happened that night. You ever think about that? Like, what must have, what, he must have, what did he say that night? Like, they were convinced. Like, they were chatting with him and hanging out with him around the campfire. And then, like, by the next day, they're like, we've got the Messiah here, dude. Like, John the Baptist told us we had to go find out for ourselves. Turns out he's the real deal. And so, what is Andrew's first response? I got to get my bro, you know? I got to get my brother. Now, Andrew knows who his brother is, right? So everybody knows that Simon becomes Peter, right? right. We're going to talk about that in just a second too. But like he knows his brother's kind of loud and obnoxious. Anybody got a loud and obnoxious brother? Okay, yeah, me too. Amen. All right, praise the Lord. So anyway, so like he knows that about his brother. And he knows like, okay, this is the son of God. Like if I bring him in, he's going to try to run everything. You know what I mean? Like Jesus, he asked Jesus, you trying to save the world? And Jesus is going to look at Peter and go, you still trying to run it? You know what I mean? That kind of thing. So he knows that's his personality type, but he goes and gets him anyway. And he's like trying to grab him like, hey, dude, come on. You know what I mean? Like he's got him by the hand, like dragging him. He's like, what are you talking about? Like, like we're hanging out in the wilderness. This is not the big elaborate, you know, come down from heaven moment that I figured that we would have with the Messiah, you know, but all right. So you found him. And Andrew's like, yeah, dude, this is him. Me and John were hanging out all night with him. And I'm telling you, this is the dude. This is him. Sound like I'm preaching on the message version, don't I? <laughs> we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus, looking uh, intently at Simon. Jesus says, your name is Simon, son of John. But you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. Okay, so in Greek, that would be uh, rock or stone. In Aramaic, it would have been Cephas. So he says, you're going you're gonna to be the rock. And he looks at Peter, and immediately he says, right now, and we see this throughout Peter's journey with Jesus, is that he's kind of wishy-washy, you know? Like he loves Jesus, and he's re rejecting the fact that he knew him. You know, like, like all this kind of back and forth, he's kind of wishy-washy. 
But he says that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, that he is, he, 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 he is the, 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 the son of God. And Jesus looks at him and says, man, that profession right there is the rock that the, the kingdom will be built on. That profession right there, what you just said, man, that's the whole cornerstone. That's the big deal. And, and he looks at, at Peter and says, look, you're, he looks at Simon right now. And he says, look, you're wishy-washy. You're, you're Simon right now. But what you're going to be is you're going to be the rock. And if you look throughout Scripture, every time Simon starts acting like his old self, Jesus calls him Simon. When, he, when, when he's like, it's almost like a way of like, hey, reminding him. It's almost like kind of reminding him of who he used to be. Hey, don't be Simon right now. You need to be Peter right now. Hey, Simon, what are you doing? And you, you, need, to, you need to remember who I called you to be and not who you are. Yeah. And so, so he, says, he says, look, you're going to be the rock. Petros in Greek. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew in Peter's hometown. So they go, they go home. Right? Jesus is going home with them. They find Philip there. And, and, and he said, all he says to Philip is, come and follow me. And that's all it took for Philip. So I don't know necessarily what the deal was. I don't know if he saw, he, he saw uh, Andrew and John and Peter, and he knew those guys from back home. And he was like, they've been looking for the Messiah. They've been hanging out with John the Baptist out in the wilderness, and they've been looking for him. And if they're hanging out with this dude... That's probably him. You know what I mean? Like they, they probably, he probably put that together and said, if this guy is walking up and says, follow me, and I'm sure the presence of God was there and he could just sense maybe it's the way he looked, maybe it's the way he smelled, maybe it's the way he walked. I don't know, but I, I'm just like immediately, it was like, follow me, and, and he did. Then look, so, so you remember what happened with Andrew when he found the Messiah? He went and got Simon, right, his brother? So Philip went to look for Nathaniel. Bartholomew is the name that he goes by most of the time. John's the only one that calls him Nathaniel. And told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph of Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. So Nathaniel, he's kind of putting Jesus down a little bit. You know what I mean? Like he's like, he comes from that podunk town, Nazareth, down the road. Like, I know them. It turns out Nathaniel's from Cana, and, and, you know, the wedding feast and all that where Jesus turns water into wine and all that. That's coming up soon, right? But, like, I mean, these guys, are, they're, they're, they're from podunk town already, and he's putting down, like, I mean, you remember when, when they're, like, talking about these, these guys that are disciples of Jesus? They're like, man, these are Galileans. Like, these are lowlifes. They wear overalls and have very few teeth. Like, you know, but... But then, like, for those guys to be putting down where Jesus was from, it's like, it's lower than the low, you know? Yeah. And this is a perfect picture of who our Savior is, though. It's a perfect picture of where he came from. It's, yeah. it's the lowest of the low. It's like even, even the Galileans are looking down on it going, man, look, that's a no place. Nobody good comes from there. So <laughs> I love Philip. Philip's like, all right, you know? I mean, that's what he says in, in the Greek. It says, all right. Come and see. You don't believe me? Do what I did. Just come and check it out for a little bit. Just come and see. And that is the invitation for a lot of us. Yeah. Just come and see. Come and see for yourself. 
You know, people say, well, I don't know if I believe in Jesus. I don't know if I really can trust Jesus with my life. I don't know if I can really give him everything. I say, try it, see what happens. You've been trying it the other way without Jesus. Why don't you try it with Jesus and see what happens? Why don't you truly trust him, pray about stuff, and give things over to him and respond to the Holy Spirit and see what happens? I mean, you've been doing it the other way, like for 15, 16 years. Why don't you, why don't you try this way for a change? And, and he looks at him. He looks at Nathaniel and says, hey, come and see. As they approach Jesus, they're just walking up to him. Jesus says, uh, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Now, at the moment, you know, Nathaniel's just been like, hey, that's cool. This dude likes me, you know what I mean? But looking back later, can you imagine he's laying there in bed at night and he's thinking about when he met Jesus and he's going, the son of God said I had complete integrity. That's a big deal, y'all. Like, like God himself spoke and said, hey, this is a true Israelite. What he means by that is somebody worships the one true God his heart is right, and he's got integrity. And God said that to me. Can you imagine that wake-up moment about 2 o'clock in the morning? Oh, he said that about me. I remember. Boy, that'll make you go to your death preaching about that guy. Wanna... He says, how do you know about me? Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Nathaniel's going, Philip had to come find me. Jesus is hanging out with these other two cats. Philip didn't know where I was. He had to search around for me. This guy knew where I was. But he says he saw me. Well, maybe he saw me. How could he see me? I don't know. Sounds sketch to me. Then he calls out the fig tree. Man, that's a cool trick. That's a cool trick. The fig tree... Like, that kind of sold me. That's where I was. I could have been in the house. I could have been out changing a tire on the car. I could have been doing anything. But he saw me under the fig tree, you know? Like, that's a big deal, that that's where he saw me. He's Like, right before Philip found me, that's where I was. I was under the fig tree. And Jesus saw him. Now, what's cool about this, I want you to think about this for a second, is that Nathaniel's a little skeptical at first, right? He's like, who's this guy, you know? Where's he from? And then Jesus is like saying, oh, by the way, I can see your heart. I can see your heart. Complete integrity. Uh, being a true Israelite, I can see your heart. Oh, and by the way, I can see you physically when you're not even in my presence. I can see you. You know what he's saying? He says, I see you. Yeah. You know what Jesus is saying to you today? I see you. He doesn't just see where you're sitting. He doesn't just see which red chair you're sitting in. He sees your heart. He sees what's going on inside you. He knows exactly where you are. He knows how much you believe in him. He knows if you really believe in him or not. You can pretend all day long that, that, you, don't, that, that you believe in Jesus and, and try to say that I'm a Christian, but you know what? You cannot hide from Jesus. He sees you. He sees you just like you are. Where you sit in that seat and what your heart looks like, he sees you. And he, it, what's weird is that Nathaniel seemed to be the one that kind of doubted that this could be the Messiah. And he's the one that, like, Jesus saying, hey, he's got integrity. He's a true Israelite. He's a true Israelite. 
Listen to what Jesus says. This is important. This is for us, okay? Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. You are the Savior of Israel. So Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you to run to the fig tree? Do you believe this just because I was able to see you there? Do you believe this just because of, of what you have seen so far? Is that the reason you believe? Because I told you something you didn't think that I should know, but I knew? Is that the reason? And he says, get this. You'll see greater things than this. And he said, I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open and angels of God going up and down the going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. He says, you're going to see things that are going to connect this world to heaven. You think that you've seen a lot right now. You wait until you follow me. You wait until you commit to being one of mine and see what you see. When I, uh, when I had my close encounter with Jesus... I was nine years old, and um, all I knew is that when I surrendered to him and I gave him my life, that like this huge weight got lifted off my shoulders, and I cried a lot. I mean, that's really, that's what I knew. I, know who, I knew who Jesus was. He revealed himself to me. I couldn't do anything but cry and fall down on my face before him and say, God saved me, okay? So that's what it looked like. That was my close encounter with Jesus. Now, there have been times when I had pretended to have a close encounter with Jesus, but this is when I really had a close encounter with Jesus. And I thought, this is the most amazing thing ever, to have this huge burden lifted off my shoulders. And it was an amazing experience. But let me tell you something. When Jesus says to follow me to these guys, he's not just talking about for the next 10 minutes. He's not just talking about until you go through your baptism. He's talking about for the rest of your life, for all of eternity. And it's not just a one-time decision that you make and then you go about your business. They didn't just say, okay, I'll follow you for a little while, but tomorrow I'm going back home. No, it was a lifelong commitment to follow him, even follow him to death. That's what being a disciple of Jesus Christ looks like. I can tell you that since my salvation, I was nine years old, what I have seen has blown my mind. You know what the number one thing that blows my mind? It's when I see... A, a person who is broken, a person who has, who has committed grievous sin against God, who, somebody who has broken the heart of God by the things that they've done, the things that they've said, the way they've rejected the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has constantly pursued them over and over again, and, and, and I see them come to faith in Christ. And I am humbled, blown away before God. I thought it was cool when I got saved, but God showed me some things when other people get saved that absolutely rocked my world that absolutely shook me to my core. And every single time I see somebody surrender to the, to the heart of God, surrender to the, the, the completely sell out to what Jesus is calling them to, man, it, it just constantly reveals his glory to me and constantly draws me to him and constantly reminds me to follow him. So you ask me, so what's, what's the message? What's the message? Who is Jesus to you? Who do you say that I am? You know, he asked that question. Who do you say that I am? Some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that, that you're one of the prophets, you know. But the question is, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Is he real? Is, if Jesus were to walk through here right now and ask you, 
what do you want? What would you say? What would you say? What would the overflow of your heart be? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this word. God, I pray that you have challenged our hearts, you have opened our eyes, and God, you have spoken. Lord, I just pray that right now we'd be obedient to you, that we would respond to you as you called us to respond. Maybe there's broken hearts here. Maybe there's people who have never truly responded to you. Maybe there's people here that never said yes to you. Maybe there's people with doubts. Maybe there's people trying to figure things out, and they needed to hear from you tonight, and I pray that they have, and I pray that you would draw them to you. Now, there may be just somebody here that needs a reminder of who you are and the glorious Father that you are and how you reveal yourself to us. God, that you remind us all the time of how much you love us and how you saved us. God, I just pray for the comfort for that heart. Lord, if people need to come and pray at this altar, they're welcome to. If they need to stand in their chair and just, and just pray to God and fall down on their knees right there at their chair, they can do that too. God, I just pray that we be obedient to your Holy Spirit. God, we would listen to you and we would be with you tonight and not against you. Be glorified now as we respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Will everyone stand?